Hey neighbor, I appreciate you stopping by. It's a great evening tonight. Fall's in the air. Won't be long. It'll be Christmas time. But hey, pull up a chair. I'll run inside the house and get you a cup of joe. I'll be right back. As I speak these words, our nation is boiling in intentional perpetrated turmoil, rioting, murder, theft, assault, bullying, arson, hate, racism, bigotry, assault on religious freedom, assault on law enforcement officers. The constitutional overreach at every level of government has resulted in destruction of sole proprietor businesses, small businesses and corporations, all in the name of virus rescue. People's dreams, careers, and bank accounts have been devastated. It is estimated that there has been rioting in over 500 American cities, from the key population centers to rural townships. Total mayhem. Lawless mayhem. The reason why the laws are not being imposed in the key cities where rioting rages out of control is because the rioters are a reflection of those who are in government over them. If those in government over the rioters were disturbed, alarmed, and motivated to enforce the laws, then the rioting would be shut down in each location in a moment. The continued mayhem is symptomatic of a much larger issue. The overarching issue at play here is the abandonment of love. The abandonment of love, specifically the love for God, yourself, and your neighbor, has cast our nation into a cauldron of putrefied hate, violence, hopelessness, greed, and despair. How are we ever going to make it back to where we must be if we are to survive and thrive as a nation? The alternative to this question ends in totalitarian control by a central government that treats its people like simpletons that are in need of control, like dumb animals. Just read 1984. The Beatles recorded All You Need Is Love in June of 1967. This was in the midst of the raging Vietnam War, where huge protests in April 1967 of Washington, D.C., San Francisco, and New York City. The word love in the song is used at least 63 times. If you can get a more accurate count, I encourage you to try and do so. As I looked through the lyric sheet, it was really hard to keep count of all the times the Beatles used the word love. It starts out repeating the word love nine times. It repeats all you need is love 12 times. It repeats love is all you need 35 times. It has limericks that really make no sense, so we end up with a big pep rally that celebrates the sufficiency and supremacy of love. But nowhere in the song does it define what love is or how you get it. John Lennon was the primary composer of the anthem. At the end of John Lennon's life, shot to death by an evil fan at the age of 42, he was back with his second wife, Yoko Ono. Today, Yoko rewrites history now by touting John and her love is eternal. But no one wants to remember his long affair with May Payne, which resulted in his abandonment of his marriage while he lived with his girlfriend, May Payne, for a couple of years. Is that love? His marriage infidelity? his cynical attitude that damaged all his mates 
as he would call him, that he'd known since young teenage years? Think about this. John, Paul, and Ringo, he knew from his childhood, really. And yet, when he tragically died at the hands of an assassin, he was really estranged from all three of those mates. So, yes, he got the need for love right, but he sure was no doctor of love and able to prescribe it in a way that changes things and make things better. No question about it, love is paramount. God gives us the real prescription for love that changes everything and makes it better, makes everything better, makes it whole, brings it to life. In Mark chapter 12, verses 29 and following, it says, One of the scribes approached when he heard them debating and saw that Jesus answered them well. He answered him, Which command is the most important of all? Jesus answered, The most important is, Listen, Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind, and with all your strength. The second is, Love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other command greater than these. Then the scribe said to him, You are right, teacher. You have correctly said that he is one, and there is no one else except him. And to love him with all your heart, with all your understanding, and with all your strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself is far more important than all the burnt offerings and sacrifices. When Jesus saw that he answered wisely, he said to him, You are not far from the kingdom of God. Clearly from this passage, we see love is a command to be obeyed. That's the prescription. Love is a verb. It's an action word. The action of love is to be directed to God, to yourself, and your neighbor. It all starts with a love for God that shapes the way you see yourself and the way you treat your neighbor. This command to love is fleshed out for us back in one of the most important passages in all of the Christian Bible, in Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 1-9. through nine which is the Old Testament passage that Christ referred to here in the book of Mark. By the way, which he expanded by adding the aspect of love for your neighbor. In Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 1 through 9, it's similar. It says, This is the command, the statutes and ordinances, the Lord your God has commanded me to teach you so that you may follow them in the land that you are about to enter and possess. Do this so that you may fear the Lord your God all the days of your life by keeping all his statutes and, and commands, I am giving you your son and your grandson, and so that you may have a long life. Listen, Israel, and be careful to follow them so that you may prosper and multiply greatly because the Lord, the God of your ancestors, has promised you a land flowing with milk and honey. Listen, Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. These words that I am giving you today are to be in your heart. Repeat them to your children. Talk about them when you sit in your house and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Bind them as a sign on your hand and let them be a symbol on your forehead. Write them on the doorposts of your house and on your city gates. So what is the love I am speaking of that will restore our cities and save our country and get us back where we need to be? First, anytime you have an entire passage of Scripture repeated from the Old Testament to the New Testament, you know that this is a powerhouse, fundamental truth of God. The Jews call it the, the Shema, 
which is the first word that says, listen, Shema Yisrael, the Lord your God is one. So we see here that love starts with a relationship with the one true God. Here in Deuteronomy chapter 6, the phrase, the Lord your God, is used five times. The Hebrew word translated Lord is Yahweh. Yahweh is the God of the universe's personal, intimate name. It is a covenant name that signals a reciprocating, vibrant relationship with the nation of Israel. Yahweh was the name God used to address the nation of Israel in the Old Testament. Verse 4 reminds us to listen. Our God is one. The important thing is it's about an intimate relationship with one person. The Apostle John has a lot to say about this in the book of 1 John and was really an expert in this love relationship with God. In the Gospel of John, he refers to himself as the disciple whom Jesus loved four different times. In 1 John chapter 4, verse 7, he says, Dear friends, let us love one another because love is from God, and everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. The one who does not love does not know God, because God is love. God's love was, was revealed among us in this way. God sent his one and only son into the world so that we might live through him. Love consists in this, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and his love is made complete in us. This is how we know that we remain in him and he in us. He has given us his spirit and we have seen and we testify that the father has sent his son as the world's savior. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the son of God God remains in him and he in God. And we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love, and the one who remains in love remains in God, and God remains in him. In this, love is made complete with us so that we may have confidence in the day of judgment, because as he is, so also are we in this world. There is no fear in love. Instead, Perfect love drives out fear because fear involves punishment. So the one who fears is not complete in love. We love because he first loved us. If anyone says, I love God, and yet hates his brother or sister, he is a liar. For the person who does not love his brother or sister whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And we have this command from him. The one who loves God must also love his brother and sister. Folks, this passage has relationship just built into it, all over it, all through it. You have these concepts of friends, love one another, this love relationship with God, this relationship with your brothers and your sisters, all spinning around God's love. And the fact, the very fact is that the Bible says explicitly that, that God is love. This is a fundamental nature of his character. You want to know why the people are rioting today? Because they don't have the love of God in their heart. It's filled with hate. It's filled with anger. It's filled with disrespect. It's filled with sadness. It's filled with grief because they don't know God. Yet, as we come into a love relationship with the one true God, everything changes. It's important. It's fundamental. It's paramount. Second, that it flows from the heart that is infused with the mind of God. So when we talk about 
the love we're speaking of that's going to restore our cities, that's going to save our country, that's going to get us back where we need to be. Uh, today, I kind of have a theme running here of Beatles songs, the song Get Back. And I tell you, it's a phrase that sticks in my mind a lot because even though, you know, there's a lot of things we can say about the Beatles that were not good, you have to give them credit, folks, that they were masterful songwriters and they wrote a lot of good songs. But the song Get Back, JoJo, Get Back to Where You Once Belonged, really sticks out. That the, the problem today is we need to get back to where we once belonged. And so how do we do it? The first thing is that love relationship with God. Second, it flows from the heart that is infused with the mind of God himself. Now think about that. This is a powerful statement. It flows from the heart that is infused with the mind of God himself. I tell you, I love cooking. And you talk about the aromatics and uh, both of my sons are just master chefs and really study it and are just doing far beyond anything I, I can imagine for myself. And uh, one of the key words is infused, uh, to really infuse that turkey with the, these aromatics um, that my son has done uh, for a couple of our Thanksgiving dinners. But it flows from a heart, from the heart that is infused with the mind of God himself. Now, you ask me, wait, how is that possible that I can have a heart that is infused with the God himself, with the mind of God himself. God's commands ensures the truth of his word. The word statutes here in Deuteronomy comes from the idea to scratch or to engrave. It is a picture of the Ten Commandments that God etched in stone. The ordinances are the elements of the Bible that show us how God's decisions are made, his way of thinking on important matters. In the realm of heaven, the concept of command is a good thing, not a bad thing. In our culture today, when we talk about the commands of God, immediately people have this sense of being clamped down upon, to being having uh, just being tightened under some sort of a vice. And yet in the scriptures, that is the furthest thing from the truth. The commands of God are a good thing. Love is built on the foundation of his commands, his statutes and ordinances, that are to be taught for the purposes of obedience to them and fear of him. Why? Because if we obey his commands and we fear God, the creator of us all, the results are a long life and prosperity. And I tell you, the word prosperity here, of being well-being, and it says to be well-being and multiply, it's the, it's the concept of doing well in the land, but also of, of multiplying, of having children. You see, in the Bible, God considers children a blessing. They're, they're a reward, the Bible says. And so the results of following God's ordinances and the results of, of having his heart and his mind infused into our heart is the fact that we will have a long life and we will prosper. You remember in Star Trek, I believe it was Spock, that his words were live long and prosper. That's what God wants for each of us. He doesn't want us to have a short life. Look at all the Hollywood stars and the rock stars that seem to have it all, and yet in the end, many of them live very short lives. That Their life lived apart from God is a life of brevity. Yet with Christ, the heart that's infused with the mind of God himself is one that's going to enjoy a long life 
and prosper. So it comes down to a matter of an undivided, dedicated heart. It says all of your heart, all your soul, and all your strength. The word heart here is the concept of understanding or mind. In its abstract meaning, in other words, not talking about a physical heart, but in its abstract meanings, heart became the richest biblical term for the totality of man's inner or immaterial nature. In the Bible, virtually every immaterial function of man is attributed to the heart, to that core of who you and I are. The heart is the center of emotion, thought, will. It's the center of joy, love, creativity, perception, integrity, awareness, generosity, faith. But you know what? It's also the seat of moral evil. Jeremiah 17, 9 says, it also says in the Bible that the heart is where wicked devices originate from, is in the heart, Genesis 6, 5. So it's in a matter of an infused heart. It says here in Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 6, that, God command, that God's commands, his statutes and ordinances are to be in your heart. But how is our heart infused with the mind of God? There's four key things that uh, Moses says here in Deuteronomy. And it comes down to four simple things, but not so simple. We need to put them into practice. Repeat them, talk about them, bind them, and write them. So God's commandments, his statutes, his mind as revealed in his word. We should repeat them. It says, repeat them to your children. Earlier in the passage, he said that I'm giving these commandments to you, to your son, and to your grandson. In other words, this is something that we're to repeat to our kids we're repeat, to repeat them to our children's children, our grandkids. It's something that should be talked about over and over and over and literally reading the word of God. The second thing is to talk about them. And it's to infuse our lives. When you sit in your house, walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. In other words, it should permeate every aspect of your daily living. The Bible is not to be something that's just talked about in a family Bible study, though that's a good thing. It should be something that is talked about throughout the course of everyday living. It's to infuse your entire existence. I remember a time when my children were young, we had the opportunity to go and stay in a cabin in uh, South Fork, Colorado, just a beautiful cabin, sleep 16. Literally, it was one row of houses on the Rio Grande River, and at that point, the Rio Grande River was just 20 miles from its headwaters, so just a beautiful, beautiful aspect of the Rio Grande River, but it was the Rio Grande River, a, a little dirt road right on the river. It was a row of cabins, and then those cabins were down on a drop-off, so then when you came back up the hill, the next lot was empty, which from that lot, you could literally step onto the house the rooftop of the cabin in front of us, then the road, and then our cabin. So it was this huge cabin, but uh, it was in a place to where uh, just beautiful 8,400 feet. The mountain out the kitchen window was at 10,000 feet. So it was a 1,500 foot climb to the top of the mountain. But let me tell you something, folks, at that point there in that valley, the Rio Grande Valley up there in the mountains, it was a long way. We never, ever made it to the top of the mountain. But in the course of, of exploring where we could, we found this 
spring that was up in the mountains. You could see it from the house because of the, the poplar trees uh, that were growing there in the spring. But during our hikes, we noticed that when we first discovered it, it had the smell of a barnyard. And you could see that the soil all around this luscious hidden spring was uh, smelled like a barnyard. It was, it was messed up soil just like inside a, a barn. So we knew that something was, was taking up residence there probably in the evenings. But one day, my sons and I were hiking. We came over this ridge and it, of course, you know how the mountains look like they're right there, but you top one mountain and then you realize, oh no, it goes off the other side of the mountain and it's a long draw up to the next uh, ridge. So we topped this mountain and all of a sudden we're in the middle of a large meadow on the backside of the slope. To our left, coming down a an elk trail, and these elk trails look like cattle trails if you've ever been out on a, on a ranch. They were that developed by these huge elk. So here coming down the elk trail was a herd of elks. It was the most phenomenal thing I've ever had a chance to witness. So they came walking down the the mountain trail. Here we are halfway down the side of this beautiful mountain meadow. Fortunately, the wind was blowing towards us, which made it next to impossible for for the elk to be able to smell us. And so here we are standing, we freeze. The elks come down. They go down the draw, then they go back up this trail that's heading towards that spring. And so these two giant uh, bull elks, big antlers, they know something's wrong. They know we're there. We're standing there frozen out there in the middle of this mountain meadow, me and my two little kids. And I'm talking very quietly under my breath, do not move, do not move. They kept standing there like sentinels watching us. They knew something was wrong, but we froze so they didn't see us. Now, back in that day, I was in great shape. I was about 34 years old. I had become an avid runner, distance runner in fantastic shape. So I told the boys, I said, I'm going to follow them up that trail. Just follow the trail. It'll come around to the spring. Uh, you won't lose me. So I took off running up that mountain. I'm running right behind these elk, and they're walking along this, this uh, rocky path on the side of uh, the mountain there, and you hear this clock, 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 clock. So I'm excited because I'm I'm close enough almost to touch them. They don't know I'm there. All of a sudden, I hear additional clocking. Okay, it sounded just like a herd of cattle coming up from down below me to my right on a lower trail. And I looked down, and there was another herd of elk coming up that trail. And so I'm really excited. I'm really pumped. What what I did next was a very stupid thing. Uh, don't ask me why. Um, but anyway, they joined together at the top of the trail, turned to the right, and bedded down at the springs. So here is this herd of elk, and they're laying there up in the shadows of that, that uh, poplar grove and right there where the, the springs of living water are flowing. So I got real close. There was a mother elk, but she was huge, like the si- size of a cow, and she turned and looked at me, and I thought, well, I wonder how close I can get to them. And so I did a really, I wouldn't advise this, but I did a stupid thing. I took off running at them, wondering, how close are they going to let me into their camp? I got right on them, and those elk jumped. And I'm telling you, folks, they took off running, and they went over the mountain, and they went up the next mountain. 
and I'm talking impossible for a human being to walk on, so steep. And these giant elk, they ran up the side of that mountain and were gone in seconds. It was such a magnificent thing. Thank the Lord that, that they didn't turn on me because I would have not survived. But I, I scared them so badly that they took off running, which is a good thing for me. Like I said, I don't remind that. But the point is, after that, they're in that spring, finally getting to see those elk. They're at that, that hidden spring that I had a chance to talk to the boys about uh, Psalm 119.11, where it says, As a deer longs for streams of water, so I long for you, God. So see what I'm saying? Talking about them when you sit in your house, when you walk along the road, right there in the ordinary, everyday aspects of life, bringing God's word into the moment and applying it to our lives. When you lie down, I have fond memories of when our children were young, talking to them about the, the Word of God as we put them to bed, putting them to bed with God's Word in their heart. But not only in aspects of the children, but we need to infuse our minds with the Word of God as we lie down at night. Also, when you get up. So in the moment, in real time, like Jesus. You know, Jesus was known to be what we call a peripatetic teacher. He taught by traveling from place to place. And he taught in real time in real situations. And folks, when we do that, the, the word of God sticks in our minds. So how do we infuse this into our heart, God's word into our heart? We repeat them to your children. We need to realize we have a legacy to maintain. You know, folks, something we forget that if we lapse in teaching them to our children, we begin the social decay. The people we see riding in the streets today, I would be willing to bet you that the majority of them never had anyone sit down with them, talk to them about the Bible, talk to them about the fact that God is real, talk to them about the fact that God loves them beyond measure, and His commandments are not meant to cramp their lifestyle. It's meant to give them life, long life, and to give them prosperity. And folks, we're not talking about money. Money can be a part of it. We're talking about a life that is well-lived, and that we are blessed to the point where God even gives us children something to be valued, not something to be put to death. You know, so repeat them to your children. Talk about them in the everyday course of life. Bind them on your hand and let them be a symbol on your forehead. The Orthodox Jewish men today wear two phylacteries. They're these small leather boxes literally containing Hebrew text on vellum. They wear one on their left arm and one little box on their forehead at morning prayer as a reminder to keep the law. Now, that's taking this commandment seriously, but we need to see that it's much more than that. The point of it is that there needs to be some external signs of God's Word in your life. I'm not into tattoos, but I tell you, someone that is willing to put the Word of God, tattoo it on their arm, Tattoo it to where they see where they see it and remind reminded of it. That's a good thing. I'm not against that. But to bind them, it needs to be something that is an external aspect in our lives. Have the word of God in Scripture on your walls in your home. Have them in your car. Put the word of God on your desk at work. Have a, you know, you've got these little digital frames that can sit there and play images over and over and over. Take a digital frame like that. Load it up with little GIFs or with uh, little JPEG files. 
that are those pictures you've seen them where they have the Word of God uh, formatted like a picture. Have it sit there and let it scroll through your your uh, daily work right there at the office. Uh, you'll be surprised. People will notice it, maybe even make a comment. And finally, write them on the doorpost of your house and on your city gates. What an image. I love this. So literally to have God's word posted to where when you enter your home, you're reminded, but also when people pass your gates, in other words, your your household perimeters, that they see the word of God. You know, right now, someone across the street from one of my sons, she has a, a plastic sign out in her yard that says Psalm 91. And that's a promise to where it says the pestilence won't come to your house. She's declaring that belief in that for, for her family. It's not talismanic. It's not like some sort of a magical, mystical thing. It's just you're proclaiming to the world, this is how I live my life. I live it infused with the Word of God. Why? Because it places His love in me, and I have a proper relationship with Him. It has me to where I have a proper relationship with myself, to where I'm, I'm lifted up, I'm encouraged, I feel valued, I feel loved, I feel the love of God, and also it infuses my relationships with others. So write them on the doorposts of your house and on your city gates. So, so as you see this, you see a pattern to where it moves from the inner to the outer, your hearts, your hands, your heads, your doorposts, and your gates. So how do we infuse the Word of God the, with the, the mind of our, of our Heavenly Father? It's infusing it by repeating God's Word, talking about God's Word in the everyday course of life, binding God's Word in external ways to where it triggers our minds, and literally using it in public ways to say, hey, this is where I come from. The Bible says that it's out of the abundance of the heart that the mouth speaks. So today when we see people who are spewing words of hatred and yet all in the name of, of racial justice, we see that what they're revealing is they're broken. They need repair. They need the love of God. They need God in their hearts and all of the blessings that having a personal relationship with him brings. And when we see that happen, we encourage them, allow your heart to be infused with the mind of God himself by knowing his word. It comes down to that simple aspect, knowing the Bible. One of our, my dear friends in the ministry who's been an inspiration to me, I won't call his name. He's a retired physician, very gifted, taught at the University, University of uh, UT Southwestern Medical School in Dallas, orthopedic specialist. But he has a majority, if not all, of the Word of God memorized, and I kid you not. So anytime I talk to him about a concern or a question I have, I still stay in touch with him, though he lives in the Dallas-Fort Worth area and I'm here in Tennessee. And when I talk to him and ask him questions about things in life, things going on in the culture, all of this stuff going on with the Wuhan virus, it always comes back to the Word of God, and it just flows out of his mouth. Why? Because that's what's inside him. So I want to encourage you. Boy, let's get back to where we once belong. We need love. Love is paramount. It starts with a relationship with the one true God, and it flourishes and it flows from the heart that is infused with the mind of God himself. And with that, I bid you peace.
Hey, you've been listening to Guat.Rocks, God, the World, and Other Things. I'm Kenny Price, your host. Thank you so much for taking time to listen to our podcast today. We are, we are all about advancing equilibrium in the midst of an agitated world. And folks, we know that the Bible says today that the way that we have that personal relationship with God, the God of the Old Testament, he's the same God as the New Testament, that the way uh, to that relationship with God is through his only begotten son, Jesus Christ. And so in the show notes, you'll find specific uh, help on how you can know for certain that you personally have a relationship with the Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Also in the show notes, you'll find more information about who we are, what we're about, how you can help support this podcast by making a donation. It is tax deductible if you're interested in that kind of thing. But also I want to invite you, if God is using this in your life as an encouragement and advancing peace in your life, I want to ask you, would you please tell other people about this podcast? And also, would you take just a moment to to click the like button there in your browser? Also, if you would, give us a, a, a review. And uh, something that would just thrill me is to hear from you by email. And I want to remind you that uh, with emails, I don't amalgamate the data. I don't sell it to other people. It's just a means for us to be able to communicate with you. So with that, I hope you have a great day. Fall's coming. I'm already listening to Christmas music. Yep, I'm one of those guys. (laughs) So uh, if you haven't started listening to Christmas music, now it's time. Because before you blink, Halloween will, will be past. Thanksgiving will be here. And Christmas is just around the corner. So with that, I I bid you a chilly uh, good day.